So it's Trinity Sunday. Let me ask this question. I don't know if you've ever pondered this before. Is why is it that God waits until Jesus to reveal that there are three persons in one God? Why not do that from the very beginning? The, the very formation of God's people, Israel, why not just like fully reveal who God is? Because mostly what we see in the Old Testament is God just honing in on there's one God, there's one God, there's one God, there's one God. Now, as Jerome says, everything that's in the new is hidden in the old, you know, and it just takes Jesus to come and reveal it. And that's true. But why does God follow that kind of flow? I think there's many reasons why, but it's certainly revealed to us in the Old, in the Old Testament, in God's people. Let's go back and look at some of the background of the Jews to see why God chooses to reveal himself the first part, that he's one God, but waits till later, the second part, three persons in one God. This may seem like it's a bit theological, but it's very, very relevant for our times and our relationships today. Okay, so the Jews. The Jews were surrounded by other nations and cultures and ethnic groups, right? Other people, neighbors. And all through their history, they're running into these peoples. And as they're running into these people, they're seeing that these other people have multiple gods. Bottom line, they want what their neighbors have. Nothing much has changed under the sun, has it? Right? Because we look around literally at our neighbors and we want their house. We want their car. We want their wife or their husband. We want their children, not our own. Right? We, um, we want the way they look. We want, when we go into the office, we want that person's job, not our own. We want to be in that position on the sports team, not the one that we're on. And on and on it goes with just about everything. The envy, the lust, the jealousy. Well, that was the Jews. They looked around at their neighbors and they're like, why do you keep telling us that we can only have one God, you, when we can have many gods? And that's what they wanted. But here's something to think about. Certainly God knew this. First of all, those other gods didn't exist. The only place they existed was in the hearts of the individuals who made them. These gods didn't make them. They didn't exist. Humans made these gods in their own image and likeness and for a very exact reason. To get what they wanted. And what they wanted was to control their own life, so let me create a God who I can control so I can get what I want. But the difference is they believed that they were gods. The gods that we worship today, and I'll get to that in a second, we know they're not gods and yet we still worship them. It's insane. They wanted to control God. So for instance, if they um, wanted to have sex, they created a God of sex. If they wanted to have children, a God of fertility. If they wanted to make war, a God of war. If they wanted to have good crops, multiple gods having a hand in on making sure that they had good crops. And on and on it went 
as they added more and more gods to the pantheon of their gods. It was about control and getting what they wanted. And God saw that. First of all, that they were false gods created in the images of human beings and not worthy of worship. He's the only God who exists. So he keeps coming back to his people as he's forming them over centuries. And through a variety of experiences, he keeps honing in on, there's only one God, it's me, and only worship me. Because the people were idolatrous. They were worshiping idols, things of this world. And as he's doing this, he takes them through experiences of trials, of suffering. Like, for instance, when the Jews were 400 years in Egypt with a ton of different gods, right? River god, sun god, moon god, all that kind of stuff. Frog god, cow god. They, they literally had a frog and cow god, by the way, okay? God had to get this out of his Jews, and so when they were out of Egypt, Egypt still wasn't out of them. And so what did they do? For 400 years in Egypt, they had to spend 40 years in the desert where they had to learn to depend upon the one God for everything that they needed. And they did. It, it, it lasted for a while. And then they're in the land of Canaan, they're in the Holy Land, they're, they're in the land of milk and honey, and they're running into all these other people, the Hittites and the Hugarites and the Philistines and the Samaritans and all this kind of stuff. All right, they all have gods. So God, again, has to take them through a variety of experiences, some difficult, some beautiful and true and, and just good. And he's asking them to pass this, the memory of these experiences on from generation to generation. So then they run into the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greeks and, and the Romans. And all of them have multiple gods. God gets them to a point where they're praying three times, for instance, among many things. Praying three times this prayer that they pray called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is alone, your God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, with all your strength. They got to a point where they realized there's only one God. And only Him will I worship. And I will give Him Everything that I am, first and foremost in my life, and let everything else get behind him rather than get before him and get in the way of him and confuse me and obscure him and, uh, and, uh, and, and be an obstacle for me following him. And that was the state of the Jews when Jesus Christ comes into the world. Many Jews were very devout and very fervent. And so, God sends his son into the world to now reveal the second part of who God is. And the second part of who God is is that God is three persons in one God. Now, the reason why 
he doesn't reveal this to the Jews, is because they're idolaters, and they worship many gods. And if he said there's three persons and one God, they would get confused about that and think it's three different gods and worship three different gods, and that's not who God is. So now they're ready. They know there's one God, and he throws something else at them. No, I'm three persons in one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like in today's gospel reading from John 12. Among many, many gospel readings, Jesus literally explicitly says, there's a Father, there's a Son, that's me, and then there's the Holy Spirit. So why? Why is it important to us that God is triune? Three persons and one God. Many reasons. Let me just cover one in particular, and it has to do with our human relationships. Get God wrong, get human life wrong. Our identity, our mission, and also get our human relationships wrong. So when Jesus comes and says, there's a trinity of God, we're ready as humanity to start living in that reality. That there's a triune God. Let me jump to today just to kind of flesh this out. We live in a pagan age again. I think we all agree. And we live in an age where we're confused, even us as Christians, about who God is and therefore who we are. And in some respects, we've gone back to the the Jews before Christ came into this world. Meaning, we worship many altars, many gods. So for instance, from the youngest age, we raise up our children and prop them up in front of an idol. It's called the TV. And we spend many hours a day worshiping that idol. We as adults put into our own hands devices that we spend hours upon each day An idol, a God. We know it's not a God, but we make it into a God. And we worship it. We take our work, and we put an ism at the end, workaholism, and we make our our work our God. We take drink, and we overindulge over years, and it becomes an addiction, and that's our God who we are slaves to. We do that with pornography. We do that with sex. We do that with sports. We do that with, we do that with people. Where we say things like in our culture and we adopt these words, oh, she's my soulmate. He's my soulmate. You only have one soulmate. It's the Lord God. But when we talk that way and live that way, then we put on expectations, even on our brides and our grooms, on our spouses, We put on expectations that I'm in this relationship for you to give to me. We put on unrealistic expectations. And then when our spouses over seven years or 20 years don't fulfill me like we expected them to, we discard them. And thus a high divorce rate, right? Or they discard us. Because they treat us as an idol, as an object, that doesn't exist, isn't real. We're not gods to one another. 
We even do this to our children. We make them into gods where we pour so much of ourselves into them, and rightly so, right? But then we don't give them what they need most, not ourselves and all of our thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours that we give to them. We don't give them God. And then they make us into gods, and then when we disappoint us, them, they depart from us. And we wonder why. Because we don't give them the one who makes all relationships right and puts all relationships in their proper place. The reason why it is absolutely essential for us as human beings that God is three persons in one God and we worship him is because if we don't, then we will worship everything else. And in doing that, we will get everything else wrong. And it will destroy our relationships. How many relationships have been left lying dead in the wake of workaholism and alcoholism and so many other things that are isms where we exaggerate their place and their importance and their time and their presence in our lives. Listen, TV and a device can be tools. A good glass of wine is great. A wonderful meal and a relationship with a man or a woman, right? Like an espousal relationship could be a great blessing. But not if it's distorted into a God that we worship. And remember what worship is. We've gone over this before. Worship is where I give my heart and my mind and my soul to a thing and in, and in such a way that, that that's the first thing above every other thing in our lives. And we're doing that across our lives and across this culture. And we're learning it from a pagan culture, not from our Christian heritage, not from the scriptures, and not from Here's where this is all going. Who God is in whose image and likeness we were made. You know, it's interesting. In the scriptures, I said, Jesus, God doesn't reveal himself fully as triune God in the Old Testament. But he certainly gives hints. Like in Genesis 1, let us make them in our image. In our image and likeness, let us make them. We were made like God. Meaning, God is this community of persons in love with one another who know each other and who they are and their mission and their dignity and their purpose and who are all in to one another in this eternal love affair with one another. And it's that God in whose image and likeness we were made. And so we were made for relationships. And on some level, we already know this. We know, even though we worship at other altars, other gods, we know that what's so, so, supposed to be the most important thing in our earthly life are other people, like our mom and our dad or our children or 
our husbands and wives or our friends or, you know, all the people that, in whose we have relationships with. Other societies, other ethnic groups, other nations. They're the ones, all of them, who are supposed to be most important in our lives. And yet, what we end up doing is putting activities and events and things and, and addictions and, 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 and obsessions and ideologies and, and all that kind of stuff before what we know is most important. And why it's so important then for us to not just believe in a triune God, but to practice that belief through worship is that when we do that, then we go back to what God taught his people before Jesus Christ came into this world. Hear, O Israel, meaning hear, O heart and mind of mine. The Lord God, the Lord is Lord alone of my life. And I shall love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. In all of my mind. And then Jesus, who incarnates as the Son of God, as a human being, adds to that. And I shall love my neighbor as myself. He completes it. Because we were made for relationship. If we put everything else in front of every other relationship in our lives, it will ruin those relationships and us along the way. But if we place everything in our lives that we're part of in God, in God, including other people, then God will make all of those right in relationship with us. We will never distort them. We will never make them disproportionate to who God is. God will help us to see the place that each of them have in our lives. And, you know, stuff like eating and, and, and having a drink and being in friendships with other people, all those things are good, but they won't get in place of God, in front of God. They won't distract from God. They won't obscure God. They won't be an obstacle to, to God. They won't displace Him. They'll get behind God. And God will make them all beautiful and good and true and right. And they'll be of service to God and therefore service to us. And we'll be of service to God rather than asking other people to bow down and worship me. Well, we end up doing that with other people or things. When we put everything in God, including ourselves, then we put ourselves in a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of relationship. And then we know how to relate with one another. Then we know how to treat one another. Then we know how to let people treat us and not treat us, right? Then we know what to do with all the goods of this earth and what never to do with them. And then, my friends, on this Trinity Sunday, we find happiness. And we stop trying to be like our neighbors and help our neighbors become like our God.